Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody. Okay, we're going to be talking about microaggression, which is uh, exposing our prejudice. You know, I got to tell you, microaggression is what all of this conflict in our media in politics and picking each other apart and calling each other names, calling each other racist and all this kind of stuff. It's it all lands back on what's called microaggression, which is a a very sophisticated form of prejudice. And so people use uh, their colloquialisms, which is their local language, the stuff they grew up with, the terms they grew up with. Uh, the older you are, the more dangerous in the environment we're in because. The colloquialisms that we have, blah, 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 sorry, but that all adds up to uh, basically a lot of those are are uh, aged and they don't fit the day and age that we're in. Uh, there's a goal overall is that we all move away from prejudice, which is what all of us, I believe, really want to do. It takes too much effort to hate. It takes too much effort to apply negative energy to people that uh, are just a different skin color and maybe come from a different cultural background. But there's also, or maybe come from a religion that you don't like, whatever it is. But, you know, the, the world's trying to equalize and that's the environment we're in. That's an intelligent move. But the way that we're going about it as a society is beating up each one another instead of just highlighting the differences between what microaggression is and what a balanced uh, uh, sense of communication is. And so that's what I want to do with the show because it's going to probably surprise you how much we all uh, have uh, slight prejudices in our vocabulary. And it may not be how we feel. It's just that we haven't thought about what we're saying in so long because we've said it for so long that we end up uh, 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 labeling ourselves with that old language. And so it's it's sad because people will grab onto stuff like that and then try to label you with it. And uh, it may not be exactly what you intended. It may have been more of an unconscious communication. So, you know, what is this thing? Microaggression is, is basically a subtle, uh, often unintentional form of prejudice. And, and rather than an overt de declaration of racism or sexism, a microaggression often takes the shape of an offhanded comment, uh, uh, um, you know, a, play, a painful joke or a pointed insult. For example, you know, like let's just say like a white manager might comment that an Asian employee speaks English well or or a white student might ask where an Indian student is from or or a white woman may cross the street when she sees you know an African American man walking toward her uh, and it's it's getting to be nighttime or or a white individual may not have intended to offend the person of color but the comment still still reminds the person of color that they're not fully accepted or trusted in their community so experiencing microaggressions on a daily basis is very stressful and the experience can also be unsettling because the marginalized person may struggle to understand if the comment was intentional or how to respond to it and and you know this 
term was not coined until about 1970 uh, by a uh, Harvard Medical School psychiatrist named Chester Pierce. And so this term really never has come into fruition as far as people understanding it until now that we're landing on trying to uh, have an environment or a life where people are not uh, hurting each other with language and using prejudices, especially in the business place. Those of us that work in uh, corporations or with any kind of business or interact in any way with the public, we have to understand microaggressions in a sense of not getting ourselves into trouble legally or personally or hurting someone's feelings or, or losing a great employee or losing a great customer. But this concept is of microaggression. It's 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 got a lot of critics also. Some some argue that the idea has not accrued enough uh, evidence and research, and does suggest that core premises of microaggressions and their connection to uh, you know mental health uh, is uh, of the marginalized communities. Uh, they perceive these microaggressions to be harmful, so they acknowledge that. And, and subjective reports are reliable enough to study, but they don't have sufficient enough evidence because people really haven't gone down the road of what a microaggression is. It's it's kind of a foreign term. The the assumption of ill will uh, with someone using a microaggression could prevent the free flow of dialogue in a lot of settings, such as uh, school, uh, psychotherapy, work, uh, home when you're interacting with other people, holidays, it could be church, whatever it is, it could be in any social uh, realm that you enter. And so the, it's really important to recognize, define, and study the impact of subtle racism on those in marginalized communities and to be more conscious of microaggressions and avoid having them. You know, you, you need to explore these biases and understand the connotations that, that they might have and interact with people from different communities so you can learn uh, yourself, how am I doing this? Am I doing microaggressions in my language? You know, there's some obvious, and the, most of these are verbal, so there's some real obvious ones. You know, where are you really from? Um, so, like, what are you? You're not gay? Uh, do they speak in uh, do they speak uh, Asian in Japan? Uh, do you speak English really, really well? Uh, I don't look at you as a black person. Uh, you don't act like a black person. Uh, just because I'm Mexican doesn't mean I'm an automatic choice to p- uh, play Dora the Explorer. You know, that's how a person might feel if they're, you know, always cast as as the Hispanic character on television if they're in, uh, you know, uh, elementary school. Uh, no, you're white. Um, black people listen to Carrie Underwood? Are you Chinese? You know, uh, why is your daughter so white? My last name is Rodriguez, not Garcia. Uh, these are examples, and these I pulled off the internet, but these are really good examples of, of what obvious examples of what microaggression looks like. There's some other ones, you know, being called out in a class as a perceived expert on a culture where you came from and you're the only one of that culture in the class and so you end up getting all the attention because you're the only point of reference for that teacher or for those students. Also, uh, you know, being followed in a store for shoplifting because someone's perception of your uh, their perception of your race—that's another very obvious uh, a form of microaggression. There's been a lot of research. Um, 
you know, Stanford psychologist, Professor Claude Steele, he has shown that African-Americans and women perform worse on academic tests when primed with stereotypes about race and gender. Women who are primed with stereotypes about women's poor math performance do worse on math tests. Blacks' intelligence test scores plunge when they're primed with stereotypes about blacks' inferior intelligence. You know, and there's another social psychologist, uh, Jack DeVito, DeVito, and he's at Yale, and then there's Samuel Gertner of uh, University of Delaware, and they have shown that across several studies, many well-intentioned white people who consciously believe in and profess equality unconsciously act in a racist manner. And that means they're not intending to, but it's somewhere in their makeup, and particularly in am- a- ambiguous circumstances. So, so the experimental job interviews, for example, whites tended not to discriminate against black candidates when their qualifications are as strong or as weak as whites, but when candidates' qualifications are similarly ambiguous, whites tend to favor the white over the black candidate. And so, you know, this pattern could be known as a term called aversive racism, you know, naming, detailing, classifying the actual manifestations of averse racism is a lot of the work of these two gentlemen. And so their work basically uh, works on the internal experiences of people affected by microaggressions. And so what they're trying to form is, by exposing this, they're trying to form a new direction and how that impact is on the people of color. Because if we understand the impact, then we might be able to understand uh, consciously that we have to be a little bit more aware of our language and not have to you know, walk on eggshells, but have to learn better language, evolve our language to be one of equality and one without prejudice. Once again, prejudice is too much work to walk around in this life having to prop yourself up as something better than uh, another culture, race, religion, whatever. So what is, there's some vocabulary that's aligned to uh, microaggression. One of them is called a microassault. And now what is that? Well, it's conscious and it's intentional and it's about actions or slurs such as using racial epitaphs or, or displaying swastikas or deliberately uh, swirling, uh, s- serving a white person before a person of color in a restaurant. That's called a micro assault. That means you're being overt but you're not pressing it. You're just showing your beliefs like wearing a t-shirt that says something. That's kind of a micro assault. There's also micro-insults, and that is a verbal and a nonverbal way of communication that subtly conveys rudeness, insensitivity, demean a person's racial uh, heritage or their identity. An example might be uh, an employee who asks a a colleague of color how she got her job, implying that she may have landed it through an affirmative action or a quota system. Then there's these things called micro-invalidations, and and that is uh, a subtle exclude or or negate or nullify the thoughts, feelings, uh, reality of a person of color. For instance, white people often ask Asian Americans where where, where they were born, conveying the message that they are perpetually foreigners in our land. So that's what the uh, micro-validations basically saying. You're a foreigner. You don't belong here. And so that's a strange thing, uh, but, you know, in this country especially, but that is truth, and that's because of the background and the 
history of the building of our country. And I'm not putting all that down because that history is what's got us to our place, but we are evolving and that is what's necessary for us to survive in this world and to do well in this world. So uh, what uh, this show really, the goal of my show is just to make sure in this particular show that we're aware of this so that we can navigate the waters a little better. Um, I'd hate to see people lose their jobs or lose friends, lose you know family members, just because some stupid thing you say. Micro-insults, micro-validations are obvious, are less obvious in their nature. So it puts people of color in a psychological bind, basically. While the person may feel insulted, they're not really sure exactly why, and the perpetrator doesn't acknowledge that anything has happened because they're not even aware they've offended. And so the person of color is caught in what's called a catch-22. If they confront the perpetrator, the perpetrator will deny it. And so, in turn, uh, nothing gets solved and people don't take any accountability. And that's oftentimes what happens when microaggressions take place. The person that says it will say what they intended, which what they intended is a cover-up many times for what they really intended to say. And also, that leaves a person of color to question what actually happened, which is like gaslighting. You know, uh, it's like, it's my fault? I, I didn't even say, what. you know, how do I read this? You know, the result is, is confusion, anger, overall, uh, a lot of energy getting lost for that person who receives the micro insult. These backhanded communications can really make them feel as if they don't belong, that they're abnormal or they're, or they're not trustworthy. You know, the, some uh, people who receive micro insults describe the terrible feeling of being watched suspiciously in stores as that they're about to steal something. I have a, a good friend that had a show on this network that uh, we did a show together on this very topic about how the prejudices come about these days compared to the overt uh, type of communication that took place, maybe uh, that still takes place, obviously. It's still there. There's a lot of overt prejudice. But as uh, we get older and as we evolve and as we blend more, what's taking place is it's the microaggressions are more where things are landing. You know, experiencing uh, racial microaggressions in an academic or a social or public settings, you know, people... Uh, when they go to their school's computer lab, do schoolwork, white students would call security to make sure they weren't uh, there to cause trouble if there was somebody of color. And, and when security arrives, they check the IDs and sometimes ask them to provide a second one just to prove what's valid. You know, there's been cases where fraternity students who gathered for practice found themselves surrounded by police vehicles because someone called in a, a concerned about gang activity. You know, that's kind of microaggressions that we see. We see this in academic, uh, once again, and, and social and public. Uh, some participants, uh, people that have participated in the studies, uh, uh, um, feel that there's a... a that we restrict rather than promote candid interaction between members of different racial groups. Uh, and so everyone feels like they have to, that, that is not of the minority, feel like they uh, have to watch every word and, and it, it discourages genuineness and spontaneity. And that is the downfall of microaggressions, that it really affects our sense of spontaneity to be with each other fully without watching our language. And that's unfortunately, you know, we have a history in this country and as the history has evolved, 
maybe we have not evolved necessarily as quickly and stayed in the generation of where we grew up, which allows us to have that the more frank dialogue about racism, about prejudice, because we're not really thinking too much about it because we we may be retired from the job or whatever. So we don't have to really apply uh, the sense of what a microaggression is. So a lot of elderly people uh, feel very distance from the, the, the younger American generations that really hyper-focus on microaggressions. Um, microaggressions are also filling the courts because of people's uh, uh, desire to win cases based on subtle prejudices. And so businesses are now having to teach this topic just to help their folks become more aware of what's going on and how they can get themselves in trouble. So there's a lot of ambiguous situations that we experience by, you know, uh, latching on to the definition of the experience that gives us the greatest pain. Uh, One-time encounters uh, where one can't take more action, that's very frustrating for someone who's receiving a microaggression. And so it's important to keep shining a light on the harm these encounters can inflict. And no matter how the person of color decides to handle the given encounter, we still have the responsibility to shine the light on the topic. The hope is to make uh, the invisible visible. Microaggressions hold their power because they're invisible. And therefore, they don't allow us to see that our actions and attitudes may be contradictory and discriminatory. And, uh, you know, these things, microaggressions, are, are associated with everyday verbal, nonverbal slights, insults put down. Uh, and so that is something that we have to be aware of. We're going to talk about the environment and how people can be uh, 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 slighted in the environment with a microaggression. We're going to talk about co- uh, consequences, and then we're going to go into some examples. So come back. <laughs> your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. 
That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about microaggression and uh, exposing our prejudices. And uh, once again, this is a topic that's just hot as, as can be. The media uses any type of microaggression they can find to label, especially anybody in politics, president, whatever. Politics is is, uh, loaded up with microaggressions uh, as being labeled, uh, especially from one party to another, in order to define them. That, you know, the struggle to define people is now being uh, focused through microaggressions. And well-intentioned people experience um, this kind of stuff. As they uh, look at racism and sexism and and uh, eroticism in their life, and and so there's a realization that's taking place of the pervasiveness of of, of oppressed uh, history and injustice towards marginalized groups, and so there's a huge awareness of their own role and the complicity of the oppression of other people. And the promises of, uh, especially in the United States, the promises of equality, which do not take place in our language as much as they do in our laws. And so, it leaves people feeling impotent about, you know, changing our social justices and our society and realizing that white male heterosexual supremacy is a basic and integral part of the U.S. society up to today. I would tell you, though, I see a lot of progression taking place in in the job world that is uh, balancing things out. And I'm not necessarily saying it's where it should be, but the direction, it looks very good, very good as far as uh, really uh, spearheading the leadership part of what it's required to work in this country is to understand microaggressions and, and, and also understand what equality really looks like, not just in our laws, but in our language, in our behavior, in everything that we do. You know, on a cognitive, which means your thoughts, the emotional, the behavioral, the spiritual levels, uh, all the research in the psychological world indicates that when microaggression perpetrators become increasingly aware of their biases, they often experience debilitating emotional turmoil, guilt, fear, defensiveness, cognitive distortion, constriction, uh, means pulling back, a, a false sense of reality or a behavioral avoidance or inauthentic actions that really impair relationships with, with the people that they've marginalized. And, and uh, so the, there's a lot of people that have damaged their lives subconsciously by still hanging on to their microaggressions in their language. So what's that cost? Well, the cost is friendship. The cost is a sense of feeling like a good person, feeling godly, feeling someone that has a good spirit, somebody that has a good soul. Racism, all that kind of stuff can get in our way. And we as people, if we want to thrive in this life and in the environment that we're in, in in the time and the place that we live in, we really have to come to terms with that this is a serious, serious topic. There's a lot of cognitive costs of, of oppression. You know, can you imagine it? Uh, what uh, a new CEO, female CEO would feel like and as she walks into the lobby of her office and 
there's all these paintings of old white men all over the wall and she's the only female and then she may arrive on that wall right then and there i mean can you imagine how that would feel to a to a woman uh, a sense of i'm i'm working in an environment where i'm going to have to push uphill you know i'm i'm going to have to i'm coming i'm not going to be looked at as the same I'm going to have more challenges than other people. That's the message that's going to go through her head just by seeing that on the wall. Um, or a black person that, that is suddenly a CEO and they see all these white people all over the history of running that country uh, or company. And all of a sudden there's their picture. Wow. I mean, that's got to that that has an impact. And at some point. Uh, we're at the it, we're not at the very beginning, but we're at the very beginning of what microaggressions and extinguishing that type of language in our life. And so it's important for us to view this. So here's some consequences as as we see with racism and sexism and eroticism. as it's pushed to the conscious of the people that do it, and like I said, most of these people are well-intended, good people with old language that they've subtly picked up in their life and they really haven't examined. And so um, they're likely to, the people, both sides, the the person that's the oppressor and the person that is the the receiver, which would be called the victim, they're likely to experience a mix of strong, powerful, disruptive emotions. And so these intense feelings, especially of the person who's powerless, who is receiving this language, represents uh, emotional roadblocks to self-exploration, and it must be deconstructed if oppressors are to continue the journey of saying those type of things. So fear, anxiety, uh, apprehension are the most common and powerful feelings that arise when race, gender, and sexual orientation related situations present themselves. And, and the fear may be directed at members of marginalized groups that they are dangerous, will do harm, or prone to violence, or contaminate it, uh, the person, like catching AIDS. So uh, there's a lot of avoidance of certain group members and restricting the interactions with them usually takes place. Uh, And so uh, if you let's just say you're working next to somebody uh, in a cubicle and they're of a different race or a different color. And all of a sudden you're locking your desk and doing all kinds of different things that you didn't do before. That's a sense of a microaggression. And I'm not suggesting that it's not good to do that, but you should have done that in the first place instead of doing that as you realize you have this person of color in the the cubicle next to you. Um, Also, guilt is another strong and really powerful emotion that many whites experience when racism is brought to their awareness. And uh, there's an attempt to escape that guilt and remorse by by dulling and diminishing your own perception or, or, or moving the cheese to redefine what you were trying to say. So knowledge about race-based advantages, continued mistreatment of large groups of people, the realization that people have personally been responsible for the pain and suffering of others elicits a lot of strong feelings of guilt. And guilt creates defensiveness and outbursts of anger and, and an attempt to deny, diminish, avoid uh, this, this really disturbing revelation. Uh, also, low empathy and sensitivity towards the oppressed is another outcome of oppression for the perpetrator. The harm and the damage and the acts of cruelty uh, uh, visited upon by, by marginalized groups can only continue if the person's humanities uh, uh, diminished. 
So they lose sensitivity to those that are hurt. And they become hard and cold and unfeeling to to those folks that are oppressed. I mean, as you can see, uh, people down in uh, the border uh, are being marginalized in a sense. Not that the situation doesn't call for a lot of serious uh, dialogue and a lot of serious uh, solutions uh, on the border of Mexico from the United States. But the bottom line is um, there's a lot of marginalization of the Hispanic down there and and that is a sad thing it's a sad it's a sad state of uh, affairs so as people talk about this topic their sense of microaggression and how they speak on that topic of, of the border and and all that's going on down there instead of talking about the topic people are picking up on the microaggressions towards the people trying to enter the country and sadly the, what's happening is the dialogue moves that direction rather than towards the real problem you know, uh, uh, there's a also a fearful avoidance uh, deprives oppressors of, of uh, possible friendships and expansion. So, you know, it is a great thing for people to dive in and get to know people of all different backgrounds, all different religions, all different creeds, because you're going to find that we all have one solid thing in common. We're human. And, and so the essence of being human is where we all meet. And so the bottom line is it's really important for us to look at this topic and look at uh, how we can learn. And the best way that people can learn how to avoid microaggressions is actually to throw themselves in the pot and then adapt. And that is begin to be much more culturally aware of where you are, who you are, and who you're with. And then you begin to find comfort in your language because it's not so hard to change it. You don't have to – it can it can also adjust and adapt to where you find a way to make your way through your conversations with these folks so that you're not uh, having to spend so much energy trying to edit yourself. Now, there's a, a spiritual and moral cross, uh, cost of oppression – uh, oppression inevitably means losing one's humanity for the power, the wealth, or the status attained from uh, subjugation of other people. It means losing the spiritual connectedness with other human beings. It means a refusal to recognize the polarities of the democratic principles of equality and the inhuman Inhum and the in, uh, uh, unequal treatment of the oppressed, and it means turning a blind eye to treating marginalized groups like a second-class citizens and imprisoning groups on, on uh, reservations or concentration camps or inferior schools or segregated neighborhoods, prisons, lifelong poverty. We all know uh, 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 that certain parts of a city are the bad parts of the city, and so when we discuss the bad parts of the city, we don't discuss it with equality. We, we discuss it with a sense of safety. So, you know, this kind of stuff is a microaggression. And so that's the strange thing that we're in. But spiritually, that can have uh, having to experience those kind of prejudices in your life and letting go of that is a growth spiritually because it means you're embracing who we are, where we're going, and what we're doing. You know, uh, a lot of people that are well-intended have inherited racial biases by their forefathers or their their family or their you know growing up and just like in marriage many people do marriage like their parents did or try to do marriage like their parents did because that's the only thing they know 
And so uh, the most uh, harmful forms remain outside of our, our conscious, and that means they're in our subconscious. And it, so it makes it very invisible to the people that are delivering the microaggressions. And, and their everyday verbal and nonverbal environmental slights, snubs, insults, whether intentional or un- unintentional. So let's see uh, uh, what do they look like. Well, they're generally uh, uh, discussed from the perspective of race, Racism, any marginalized group in society that becomes targets, people of color, cultures, women, gay, LBGT, those with disabilities, religious minorities, and so on. So uh, uh, racial uh, microaggressions can be like a white man or a, a woman clutches their purse or their checks or wallet as a black Latino man approaches or passes them. And so this hidden message there would be your group are criminals. An Asian-born American raised in the United States is complimented for speaking, uh, as we said earlier, good English. And so that means you're not a true American. You're a a perpetual foreigner in your own country. A black couple is seated at a table in a restaurant next to the kitchen, despite there being uh, other empty and more desirable tables located at the front. So the hidden message there is you're a second-class citizen undeserving of first-class treatment. Then there's, you know, gender microaggressions. An assertive female manager is labeled as a uh, bitch, while her male counterpart is described as a forceful leader. So what's the hidden message? Women should be passive and allow men to be the decision-makers. A female physician wearing a stethoscope is mistaken as a nurse. You know, and what's the message? Women should occupy nurturing and not decision-making roles. Women are less capable uh, uh, than men. Whistles or catcalls are heard from men as a woman walks down the street. Well, your body appearance is for the enjoyment of men is what the hidden message is. You're a sex object. Wow. You know, that's a big problem. Uh, Pornography, by the way, is huge. Huge, multi-billion dollar industry. Why? Because it expresses the labeling of people sexually. And that is so sad. Sexual orientation uh, microaggressions come around. Like a young person uses the term gay to describe a movie that she doesn't like. So what she's basically saying is being gay is associated with negative and undesirable characteristics. Or, or uh, let's say a lesbian client in therapy reluctantly discloses her sexual orientation as a, uh, to a straight therapist by saying she's into women. And so the therapist indicates that he's not shocked by the disclosure because he once had a client who was into dogs. Well, the <laughs> message is same-sex attraction is abnormal and deviant. Uh, two gay men hold hands in public and are, are, and are told not to flaunt their sexuality. Same-sex displays of affection are abnormal and offensive is what that says. So keep it private and to yourself. You know, it, it's amazing because uh, microaggressions can be based on any group that's marginalized in society. Religion, disability, social class may also reflect the manifestation of of these microaggressions. So when bargaining over a price of an item, uh, let's just say a store owner uh, says to a customer, don't try to Jew me down. Well, what's the hidden message? Jews are stingy and money grubbing. Or a blind man reports that people often raise their voices when speaking to them, you know? That's not what. What does that mean? You're you're. Uh, it's basically saying your 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 disability is defined as a lesser in all aspects of physical and mental functioning. Uh, let's just say uh, an outfit worn by a, a reality show 
person is described as trashy. Well, what that's saying is lower class people are tasteless and unsophisticated. And there's also the most detrimental forms of microaggression. These are, you know, they're usually delivered by well-intended people. Um, and, and see, the, these kind of occurrence uh, on the surface appear quite harmless or trivial. Uh, and so it's it's just kind of amazing how it all comes about. Uh, these active uh, manifestations basically reflect our worldviews. And 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 that includes our inclusion and our exclusion, our superiority, uh, superiority or in, in, inferiority, our normality or abnormality, our our desirability or undesirability. They they basically reflect the active, uh, oppressed worldviews that create and foster enforced marginalization of other people. And and unfortunately. Uh, we all want to have power in our lives, just like all children. They want power. And so this form of language is a way that they can reinforce that they have power. And it's basically the language of a bully. Microaggression is a lot, has a lot to do with bullying. And uh, it, it has a lot that it shares with bullying when it's never uh, brought in or never realized or never put forward to help that person improve their life. You know, uh, 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 white, just look at in the statistics of, of, of white American males. They, that's 33% of the population. Now, this is a study only a few years ago, 2014. So 80% of the tenured positions in higher education were men, white men. 80% of the House of Representatives, 80 to 85% of the U.S. Senate. 92, I'm saying white men. American white men, 92% of Forbes 400 executive CEO level positions, 90% of public school superintendents, 99.9% of athletic team owners, 97.7% of U.S. presidents. You know, so where are the women? The white men are 33%. Now, I'm not saying the white men should be put down and 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 should be uh, uh, run out may the best person win may the smartest person win may the most effective ideas bring you forward that's what we want to hope for but the statistics are showing that we still live in a world of the microaggression and we land on that all right let's come back we're going to discuss how we do this at work and then we're going to discuss how the receiver can help another person change their language Come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. 
Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something that is unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about microaggressions, which are the prejudices that some of us still have or have in our language that we may not have it in our philosophy. We may not have it in the way we want to think of ourselves, but we do have it in our language. And, and once again, many times it it's comes from colloquialisms that we develop when we are growing up uh, from the local communities that we lived in. And we picked up on the language there from the time and the space that we lived in. And they really, really haven't, we haven't analyzed those thoughts to understand what they really are. But they're, they're unconscious expressions of racism or sexism. And basically, they come out of this, this uh, innocuous comments by people who might be, you know, well-intended. You know, for, it could be from telling a, a new f- a female worker that she looks like a student uh, or to asking a black colleague about their, her natural hair. You know, uh, microaggressions often exist in the workplace, and, and they can make a workplace feel unsafe and, un- and, and, and uh, toxic. And that's what we're going to talk about in this segment a little bit, is talk about the work environment. Because microaggressions are often communicated through language, but it's very important to pay attention to how we talk, especially in the workplace and other social institutions like classrooms, courtrooms, and so on. Uh, they're so subtle. And, and these microaggressions are often hard to know if you're committing one or if you're on the receiving end. The one thing is that they are, in a sense, ambiguous. And so the, the recipient is apt to feel vaguely insulted. But since the words look and sound complimentary on the surface, they're most often uh, positive that they can't rightly understand why they feel insulted and they don't know how to respond Uh, uh, uh like if a, a white colleague tells a, a person of color, oh, you're so, you're so articulate, you speak so well. Well, 
the remark suggests that they assume the person uh, in question uh, is would be less articulate based on their background and based on their color or their culture, and, and they're surprised to find that they're not. You know, commenting a black person's uh, language or speaking habits as uh, has a, a complicated history, and so you know, especially in African American uh, world that they have uh, grown up in, especially when they encounter the workplace. Uh, there's a lot of language that hasn't really uh, come forward and 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 been looked at and analyzed, and that's a great challenge for for African American people just trying to have a, an equal life in this world and and function in the United States, um, which hopefully is getting better. I see a lot of improvement, but I'm I'm not the person of color, so I'm I'm this white guy, and so uh, you know uh, when we. Uh, I just know this, that when we register surprise at a black individual's articulateness, uh, uh, we also spent, send a subtle message that the, that the person's uh, part of a group that we don't expect to see sitting at the table talking in a leadership role. I mean, that's just not cool. Uh, you know, what do you say to something like that? Well, shut up. <laughs> don't say anything you can commend people on their specific ideas or their insights but commenting on how people speak is unnecessary you know, or telling you know for instance a, a transgender person that they don't look trans might be appear to be a compliment but uh, and you might have had good intention but it can be offensive and and so uh, they assume if you're trans your ultimate goal must be to look as much like a binary male as possible and that trans masculine folks who don't look like uh, uh, what are called sissies or whatever, trans people, have somehow failed that uh, unstated goal. So it indicates that the speaker feels uh, looking as close as possible as a, a transgender person. They're identifying them to be somebody who's complicated and unbalanced because they don't uh, define themselves in the in the you know the the correct light the 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 majority of our population the majority of the males you know trans women can be beautiful in their own way without being judged on ridiculous uh, beauty standards it's really important to take the lid off of this stuff so what do you do don't say anything you don't have to compliment or talk to somebody on about their trans uh, identity talk to them as a person if if you're if you're underrepresented minority there, and there's another person of your identity in the room, then there's a good chance that the majority group will confuse your names. You know, uh, uh, so people uh, might be might confuse Alejandra for Maria because Alejandra is a hard name to understand, and Maria is an easy name and a common name. So they tend to call each uh, all every time they talk to let's say the Hispanic or, or Mexican-American person, uh, they call Maria. And so they're both called Maria. And that's not because, and so how, can you imagine how Alejandra feels? Her identity is gone. And now they're labeling her as a Maria because she's Hispanic. And so there it is. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of suggestion that many well-intentioned straight people uh, pull uh, uh, uh Pull out for for L L B or L L G B Q friends and family, offering to set them up with another uh, a person uh, of L B G T Q uh, that they know. And because those two people know they have one thing in common, doesn't mean they're going to be a match. So yeah, there's fewer people uh, we can date. 
But that doesn't mean that they don't have standards and personality type values and everything else that you care about too. So just because two people have the same interest doesn't mean they're going to be a match. And so it's kind of an obvious uh, thing when you set people up, just, you know, let's say, oh, I have another black friend. So do you want to go out with them? Well, that what is that? You know, that's kind of crazy stuff. You want to look at the person. Uh, not the shell. You want to look at the person. You know, we're souls living a human life. We really want to get better at looking through what we see and looking to the person that we're talking to. That is where the soul is, and that's the important part of communication. You know, another another thing is uh, very common. You call the female boss crazy or hysterical, and basically that has a lot of undertones because uh, these these words have a lot of uh, uh, history. You know, in the past, especially in 19th century Europe. Women who had anxiety or who were seen as troublemakers are often diagnosed as being hysterical. Uh, um, so the word hysterical or crazy comes from a Greek word, which is hysteria, which means uh, uterus, signifying that the disease of women. <laughs> you know, what to say and say, you know, don't say anything. We don't have to make these kind of comments. We don't have to uh, separate another person from the crowd because of the way their behavior is or their language is or whatever. Uh, compliment the individual, not the culture, not the color. You know, people who fall between the black and white racial binary of the United States, it's tiring. You know, the next time you want to inquire about someone's race or ethnicity or national origin, ask yourself, why do I want to know? Or better yet, rather than asking anyone where you're really from, try listening or letting that person ask you a question instead. So receiving the question again and again can imply that a person isn't really an American or doesn't truly belong just because of their appearance. You know, so so uh, it's good for us to be very aware of this off this stuff. And, you know, too often we forget that people with disabilities have to deal with microaggression. They can take place in everyday conversations, make, it, make them hard to call out unless you want to be looked down upon for making a big deal out of it if you have a disability. Um, so, uh, you know, you may be called inspiring. Oh, you're so inspiring because you're in a wheelchair and you can do this and that and that. Well, that that's kind of a backhanded insult. It, it's it's tiptoeing around referring to their disability to them as a special need. You know, uh, um, you know, it'd be nice to live in a world where we don't have low expectations of disabled people, and and that they that they're congratulated for getting do you know doing something functional that other people might do. You know, it's really a good thing uh, to treat them as normal and as we all are as people. And, and not, and I shouldn't even use the term normal, just use, just tr treat them as people. Uh, just because they have a disability, the truth is we all have disabilities. Uh, if you can't pronounce somebody's name, which is becoming very difficult in the cultures that we live in, especially in the big cities where there's a lot of blended people, you know, don't, don't point out that it's foreign or unfamiliar, you know. Go a little bit early and, and try to study their name before you make a comment on the name and try to break it out. And believe me, I have lots of trouble with names. It's very difficult sometimes, but you really need to get a hold of that if you're going to work and, or, and function in a diverse background. You're going to need to learn how to pronounce a person's words. And, and um, 
the other thing is old people. Old people get stereotyped. Um, you know, it's presumed that they're going to cause a lot of trouble. So people don't want to hire them or if they're going to be high maintenance because they're going to have opinions. They're slow. They're, they're too, uh, you know, old people get grouped into all kinds of different prejudices simply because their functionality is presumed to be not that great. But there's a lot of highly vigorous and vigorant people out there that are in their 60s, 70s, and even their 80s and even beyond that. Um, you know, just because their body may slow down doesn't mean their brains do. You know, the person, the thing, the thing about getting older is shaping your brain so your brain is functional. And the more you use your brain, the less it's going to slip as you go old, get older and suck your life into a television. Um, you know, so the, the the fact is that we need to be vigorous in this this world. We need to become less microaggressive and more experiential, meaning that we expose ourselves to other people. That is a huge, huge, huge thing that we have to take place. You know, there's also other prejudice. People are Jewish, Christian, Silk, Muslim. Other religion, they choose to wear, uh, let's say, the, the ones that wear head coverings might get overly uh, probing questions at work. And in reality, that person isn't a representative of their entire religion. They're a person of that religion. Uh, just because a, a Muslim woman wears a, a hijab, uh, they often say that people ask them if they're bald underneath or if someone is forcing them to wear it. You know, don't stare. Don't judge. Teach others now that I'm not somebody to be, you know, you're basically saying you're not somebody to be saved when you're wearing that thing because you're you're not uh, you're not a normal normal person, and so that's sad. You know what do you do and say? Just don't say anything. So how do you respond to microaggressions? Pretty simple. Uh, you might ask yourself: If I respond, could my physical safety be in danger? If I respond, will the person become defensive? Will this lead to an argument? Uh, how will this affect my relationship with this person? This is what you need to ask inside your brain. Uh, will I regret not saying something? Uh, does that convey that I accept the behavior or the statement? So ask clarifying questions to assist with understanding our intentions. I want to make sure that I understand what you're saying. What you're saying is that, blah, blah, blah. That's how you respond to somebody. If, uh, uh, is this coming from curiosity, not judgment? You want to, if you're receiving it, you want to listen actively and openly to the person's response. You want you want to uh, uh, presume that they don't have bad intentions. Can you tell me what you were hoping to communicate with that comment? Can you help me understand what you meant by that? So, so you know, this is a way that if you're observing, uh, you might say, I noticed that you've used this kind of language. I was just kind of wondering what your intentions are. Um so it's really important to ask yourself, what do you think people hear when they hear that type of comment? And, and what is that message really going to imply? And so this is something that we all have to commit to step up to and do a better job with. That's our show. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. DRGBMFT at SBCGlobal.net or through our Voice America Absurd Psychology webpage on the Empowerment Channel. Now remember... If someone is upset because you called them stupid, make sure they understand that you thought they already knew that. Remember now, if you're trading greetings and someone tries to start a conversation, make sure you want to let them know that you weren't prepared for any follow-up. <laughs> also remember, patience 
is what we practice when there are too many witnesses. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 